Welcome, everyone, to the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer. I am Paul Neifer, your host. And today I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to welcome Bryce Gillen from uh, sunny but probably cold uh, South Dakota. How are things going, Bryce? Uh, it's going well. And, uh, spring is not quite here, but yeah, it's, uh, it's South Dakota. So our weather is a little unpredictable. You never know what you're going to yeah. get. Exactly. It's sort of my uh, my oldest son had lived in Denver, Colorado for about four years before they moved to Phoenix. And I remember being there like one day it'd be 80 degrees, you know, like in February and the next day it's about five. So uh, uh, you just never know what type of weather you're going to get, what time of the year. So but uh, and and again, your farm operation is is based in south dakota let's let's start off with the well actually before we start into the farm operation just give a brief background on yourself you know uh, married kids uh, where you grew up yeah. all that good stuff sure no i guess uh you know born and raised in uh south central south dakota here we're about 30 miles with, uh, west of mitchell um yep i yep went to uh yeah, I guess, you know, I've, I've got three kids, my wife and I, we, I'm, the oldest is nine, and, uh, and I got a boy, is Jack's nine, and then uh, we got two girls at four and six, so we got a kind of a, I don't know, a lively household, so, um, yeah, I don't know, I guess as far as that goes, I mean, it was, you know, <clears throat> grew up on a farm, I started, uh, you know, I guess I had a couple of construction companies when I was going to school, I went to SDSU for a couple of years, then USD, which is where I met my wife, and kind of put myself through college just doing uh you know to have my all oh, my drywall and roofing businesses i guess and uh did that i guess and then after a few years of running my own crew there out of college i guess my kind of my goal was to never never have to give anybody my uh my resume and uh so far <laughs> i'm <laughs> so far so good on that one <laughs> yep no no and and of course i've uh i've been out to your farm and location a couple times and uh my memory is it's near White Lake. Do I have that right? Yes. I think yep. it's White Lake because I, yep. I have another friend slash client that's by White Cloud, Kansas. So sometimes in my head, I get White Lake and White White Cloud mixed up. So let's sure. let's uh, let's start on the farm side first and then we'll we'll dive over to, uh, you know, the tiling business, which uh, I think for our, our listeners might even be a little bit more interesting than the farming side because, uh, you know, so many of my podcasts are usually on farming, but not always. So uh, just go through uh, the history of the farm, um, where uh, what the management of it is now and the ownership and so on. Yeah, well, I guess a little just quick background. I guess dad, uh, you know, start, I guess took, you know, the place that we're at now, um, he started farming there probably in the oh, late seventies, early eighties. And anyway, I know, I guess he had, uh, you know, started out with, you know, hogs, cattle and grain, but now, you know, ever since I was in probably middle school, we were switched over to a strictly uh, corn and beans. Um, so I guess out there now we've, uh, <clears throat> yeah. So I guess that's kind of how most of my life was, uh, I, I tore a lot more fence out than I ever put fence in, in, in my younger days. So I guess that was kind of a, <laughs> that was our job. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, today it's, again, we're still just on the, we used, we, we had, we, we had wheat in our rotation too, but we've all oh, the past six, seven years, we've kind of switched over to strictly corn and beans. Um, 
Yeah, I guess it was, uh, I, I don't know. I guess I had, I started my tile company just a couple of years after college. And, uh, and then it was probably a couple of years. Oh, it would have been 2016. I came back and, uh, started helping my dad. I mean, his health kind of started to go downhill a little bit. And there was about a two year deal. That was about a two year transition to that. And so I guess, but now it's one of them, it's just me and my wife kind of run or, you know, the main operations, we've got my hired hands out there. We've got, uh, we got two full-time employees and we got a couple part-time employees out there as well, uh, kind of doing the day-to-day operations and I help them when I can, but we've got, uh, yeah, I guess that's kind of the, you know, it's just kind of strictly corn and beans. We're kind of boring, kind of like the Iowa guys. It's nothing <laughs> too, uh, nothing too now crazy. The, the actual farms that you that you farm are they all located fairly close to the main headquarters or do you have to drive a fair amount uh, just just go through that a little bit uh most of it's pretty close most of the ground out there the spread is is it's within probably uh I would say you know eight to ten mile radius would yeah. catch all of it except for a couple fields so it's it's all fairly close um it's like everything that's good and there's good and bad things about that, but that's just, uh, yeah, that's what, we're, that's what we've got anyway. So. Okay. Okay. And, um, just curious, you know, cause, uh, when I was growing up, I used to take my uh, father back to, uh, not too far from, from your area, actually maybe well farther North up around Aberdeen. Uh, he had brothers and si- or sisters up there and, and some nephews and, and nieces and we'd go visit, and like you said, back in the 80s and 70s and 80s and 90s, when I used to take my dad there, uh, you saw a lot of wheat. But in the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years, you know, wheat and all these other crops have sort of disappeared. And like you say, it's just down to corn and soybeans. What type of yields in a normal year? Of course, I know in South Dakota, there is no such thing as a normal year. But uh, in, in a normal year, what type of yields might you be looking at? Uh you know, I guess on the east half, it, it's kind of a, well, right where we're at, I would say, you know, we can, it's not that hard to raise, you know, 100 and, 170, 180 bushel corn, but our swings are so much bigger and we can raise 210 bushel corn. I mean, we can do it, but it's our, our rainfall is much more unpredictable in the further yep. east we go. It's just those timely rains in July and August, uh, my rule of thumb is just every basically every 10 miles you get a little bit closer to the badlands you're you you fall off and every 10 miles you go further east you have a more likelihood of uh just getting those consistent rains through the through the summer months so it's not that's probably our biggest uh flaw that we have to deal with is just you know usually spring and early summer is, is you know fairly normal i guess but then those last two months it's just it's very unpredictable. So, I mean, you can go from, you could have a hundred and, you know, like last year, I mean, geez, we had a massive drought where we raised, I mean, I think our farm average was, I mean, it was only about 92, 94 bushel. And it was kind of like one of the worst, worst uh, yielding years we've had since 2012 by far. But yeah. I mean, we've got, you know, there's, if we get some decent rains, we can, we can easily pull 200 bushel across the board too. So yeah. it's just, it's just a big swing of, there's not a consistent level to it. Yeah. And, you know, the the area where I grew up, of course, we don't raise uh, corn. Well, 50 miles from here, we raise corn on the irrigator ground. But uh, we, we we sort of have the opposite issue. We have very consistent rains. But last year we did have a drought. 
but you know the last route we really had was in 1977 so you know that's uh, that's not too bad when you go from 1977 to 2021 and and have <laughs> two bad droughts during that uh, 40 some year period so uh, I, I think i think you the farmers in south dakota would take something like that fairly fairly quickly yeah i'd take those odds <laughs> Now, like you said, uh, you got the tiling business and, and you sort of started that. Uh, you, did you start that right out of college or let's, let's I want to dive more deeper into the tiling business. Uh, sure. uh, go through a little bit of that history. Well, I mean, I guess I, I had my uh, when I was going to college, I guess I put myself through college and I started with having oh, I did a lot of sheet racking and shingling. And in the summer months, you know, I just hired a bunch of my college buddies to help me. But that first two years out of college, that's all I did was just roofing. And I knew that I wanted to get out of that. And at that time, uh, I just kind of wanted to do my own thing for a while. That's kind of the biggest reason why I never, we didn't go back to the farm right away. I just really wanted to stand on my own two feet. And uh, yeah, so I guess, but then I, I knew I wanted to transition into something different and I don't know, I guess dad was, we had had tile put on our farm. We were, I think dad was probably one of the first people in our county to have uh, tile put in. <clears throat> oh, back in, I think the early 2000s, he had a couple fields done. And then around that 2011, he wanted to do a bunch more. And we kind of decided, I thought maybe I'd go take a swing at it. So I basically, all the money I had saved up from my roofing business, I took all that and took it to the bank and leveraged it as hard as I could and gave it all to Caterpillar and I guess that we've been went and bought some big boy toys and uh, started going. So now, when you say big boy toys, uh, they definitely are some big boy toys. Uh, describe, <laughs> you know, if if you have a tiling operation, what what is the key equipment uh, that you typically would be using? Well, I mean, we we've got our you know, I guess our self propelled tile plows that you know they're steel tracks, but then you've got our you know we got excavators and dozers that we bring to all the job sites as well. Um, Cause you know, there's, I guess it's, that's, uh, I mean, that's most of what you have, but obviously it takes a lot of, um, you know, we got, you know, there's a handful of like uh, string and tractors we'll use and you've got multiple different sizes of excavators depending on what application. And I don't know, it's kind of no different than anything else. It's uh, you can get by with very minimal equipment, but you're just not as efficient, but just the more efficiency levels you want, just the more things you need to have. And, uh, same would go is it's kind of like working cattle. I mean, you can work a whole herd of cattle with two guys, but uh, sure it goes a lot nicer when you got six or eight. <laughs> yeah. And and how how big of a crew do you have right now that's that's doing your tiling business for you? Uh, I mean, I've, I'm I'm are usually are typically we try to have about nine or ten employees here. It's kind of a kind of a it's like every other business owner. I mean, that's our our biggest hurdle to get over. I mean, you get some guys that are good and you train them and and people. It, it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's where we're at. So, I mean, it's always kind of a, a, a moving target, I guess. Yeah. That's It's no different than any other business owner in America right now. So. Yeah, it's, it's uh, like I say, if you get a good person, uh, then they get very valuable to other people and they want to come and, uh, and, quote, steal that uh, good employee from you. Mm -hmm. So, um, now, so when you're on, let's say you, you got a, somebody comes to you and they have a, a quarter section field that they want to get tiled. What are the first steps that you're going to do in that process? Um, well, here in South Dakota, the first steps, I mean, we're, we're a little bit different. We're in the, what would they call the prairie pothole region. So the red tape that we have here is much, much higher. The barriers to entry are much higher than they are in like the I states or you go further South into the Southern corn belt. 
Um, so here it's quite a bit different where we have to give a lot of, uh, number one, we got to get our federal paperwork through all the NRCS to make sure that all of our wetland determinations are done. And then once that's done, they dictate what we can and cannot drain. And from there, I'll, you know, I'll draw a tile design together for that, for that customer. And every field's different, I guess. So it's a very, it's not like we just go to the, uh, you know, the print, you know, the computer and hit print. I mean, it takes a, quite a while to put that together because it's just, uh, you know, it's a detailed plan. I mean, it's, it's a, uh, it's a forever thing. So if you don't do it right the first time, it can come back to bite you later. So once that's done, and then if they want to move, if they like the plan and then to move forward in the next step is to go through the, all the county permitting process. I think we've done work in, I think, 27, 28 different counties here in South Dakota. And every one of them is you know, a little bit different. A few of them don't have permits, but most of them are a little bit different. So you, you got to get to know the people at each one of the county commissioner levels in each one of the counties, because then they're always changing this and changing that. So it's always, uh, you got to deal with, you know, with downstream signatures. And and there's just a lot of, uh, a lot of paperwork, I guess. I always kind of make the joke is, uh, I feel like, you know, putting the tile in is almost the easy part. It's just the, the, all the red tape and all the politicking you have to do to get all the signatures and the sign offs. That's the, that's, I feel like that's where I almost get paid more to do that. It's just because yep. there's so much doing. So now on a, in, in South Dakota with the tiling grid itself, I mean, as far as the spacing and so on, is that basically going to be the same in South Dakota as it is, like you say, in the I States, are there some variances or even within South Dakota, is there variances based on the type of field? Go go through when you're looking at that field, what how do you make the decision as to the the the, the gridding that you're going to do? Well, it's a very well, I mean, you know, we'll take a look at our soil types first and then we'll overlay multiple years worth of aerial imagery. And if they have a yield maps, we overlay those. Every field's a little bit different, but I would say 80% maybe 85% of the fields we do, we're, we're taking more of a targeted approach. We're probably still tiling 50 to 60% of the acres, but we're not necessarily tiling the hilltops. Um, some fields you might only tile, you know, a quarter of the acres and some you might tile closer to 50 or 60%. The really flat fields, yeah, you'll grid it out where you just lace the whole field, but our terrain is more rolly where we typically are going after these, you know, we can take the, the wetter years. So it's, it's a, it's a very detailed approach and the soil types where you might be 25 or 30 foot spacings in some areas, and you might be all the way out to 65 foot spacings in other areas. So it can be, you know, the, basically the higher clay content, we have to be closer together and closer yeah. to the surface and the better the soil, you can be a little bit deeper and a little bit further apart. So the linear feet of tile per acre um, varies quite drastically. Now we know that uh, that with um, you know, issues with inflation, so on, that the costing and a lot of the ag inputs and so on has gone up. Are you seeing the same type of of aggressive cost increases on both, uh, let's say, the tile side and then on the machinery side? What what are you seeing there? Um, yeah, I mean we've seen. Yeah, I mean, you know, on the, I mean, the construction equipment's been the same as the egg equipment. I mean, we've probably seen, uh, oh, I don't know. I think we've seen, it been all of a, I'd say 15, at least a 15, maybe even knocking on a 20% increase in the past, I would say 14 months, I would say in machinery, which is, I'd say is fairly in line probably with what 
you know, uh, yeah. egg equipment would be, you know, just it, every piece is a little bit different, but it's, yeah. I would say similar there, as far as our raw good, you know, our tile itself is it, gone way up. They've, uh, they're, uh, they're pretty proud of their stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's a lot of us, I guess, you know, trying to read between the lines. Cause you're just kind of wanting you know, asking yourself if the, the middleman is just jacking you around or if it really is the raw material goods is all going up. And I, I think most of it really is the raw materials went up, but I also think there's some supply chain uh, shenanigans going on as well. Um, we, yeah. we were, you, know, you give customers bid last year was, it was the most frustrating year I've ever had where normally if we have a bid, I can give that, I can, that, that bid's good for at least 90 to 120 days. And last year, it just got to the point where people would ask you, like, well, how long is that tile bid good for? And you, you just handed it to them, and you're like, well, it's not. <laughs> like, yeah, until, yeah. I, until I call my supplier, it's not good. Like, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, and so it was just, it was, it was kind of frustrating. Um, yeah. But, I mean, every other industry was the same way, too. I yeah, mean, it's just yeah. what it was. Yeah. yeah, last year wasn't a bid. It was an estimate. You know, here's the yeah. estimate. Yeah, and then once you sign, then we'll find out what your cost really is. And then... <laughs> And then we can yeah. put it down at that point. Now, is that a perforated PVC or is it a different type of, of material? It's it's uh, just corrugated uh, tile. It comes in a roll. I mean, they look, they just, they're all rolled up. That single wall all comes in a roll. I mean, some of your dual wall sticks, you know, those come in sticks or whatever. But um, yeah, so it's just, you know, they just, they come in rolls. And last year it was just frustrating too is where most guys never lock in a price and we had to take delivery of the goods even though it was june or july we weren't going to put that stuff in until october or november the only way to lock a price in is they had to pay for it and take delivery of it which is things that we never had to do it like <laughs> that before now is is the because most of that material is what made is that made down in in the delta or is there a local there's not really a local manufacturer of that, or is there? Yeah, they they make. I mean, the pipe they've got pipe plants scattered throughout the the Midwest. You know, our supplier, okay. uh, they've got one right here in in South Dakota. Um, you know, but they they're but their resin that they use to make the pipe that comes up from the Gulf. From what I understand, you know, it's basically that's a you know a byproduct of natural gas that resin. So it yeah. all most of it all comes from Houston. And so whenever there's a hurricane in Houston, that'll really rattle the cage on the, the resin uh, market. But that's <clears throat> anyway, that that's I kind of the running from what I understand, how that kind of works is kind of like the Packers is where there's the guys down there. They can kind of control the market. You don't know how much supply they have and they only send so much to market each week and they just send it to an auction. So you're really uh, there's people that can manipulate the price of that. That it, it's yeah. I think there's some of that going on, but it's every industry seeing some uh, supply chain issues. Yeah. Now, as far as your typical uh, harvest season, I'm going to call it. Uh, you know, because as a CPA, my harvest season is right now. I mean, I'm right in the middle of quote harvest, um, and we know when you're uh, got corn and soybeans harvest season is September, October, November. When when is your harvest season for doing tiling? Um, I mean, the fall is typically when we do the the most. I mean, we're we're putting tile in all spring and, and summer, but we don't. Uh, typically, the conditions aren't as nice in the spring. Um, you know, so yeah, you're just not muddy. as uh, you're not, <laughs> it is. Yeah, you got more rain days, and you're more. Uh, you know, if the conditions are fit, well, the farmers they're going to get out there, and you know, as soon as it's halfway ready, they're going to plant. So it's still. I mean, we still put plenty in, but I would say, oh. I don't know. I'd say spring season probably represents about 
maybe 25, maybe 30% of our, our total, uh, I would say what the pipe we put in in a year, but every spring's different. I've had some that were really long and I've had some that are really short because I've had years where I started tiling in February and I've had years where we weren't able to get started until the 10th of April. Mm-hmm. So mother nature really dictates a lot on how long or I've had, you know, how much we get done in the spring and when we can start when the frost comes out and summer is, you know, you get, you know, there's less and less wheat around. We definitely have some wheat customers, um, but we're typically doing, you know, a handful of other things in the summer months too. But, and then fall, I would say would represent usually about, about half of the total, total pipe we put in a year it happens from the 15th of September to the 15th of December. Okay. And then between that 15th of December through about now, you're sort of shut down because of, uh, of the, the frost in the ground and so on. Is that right? Or are you still yeah. able to do some work? Yep. So we're, so me and my main guy, I mean, we're just, you know, putting bids out and that's all we'll do all winter is just put bids together and planning for next year and helping get all the red tape cup, whether it's spring or fall projects, you're just talking to customers and just uh, doing that. And the rest of the crew, you I keep them on full time and, and uh, they just run everything through the shop. Yeah. Now, is is all of your customer based in South Dakota or have you spread out to other states? All my customer base is in South Dakota. We run right up to the edge of uh, you know Nebraska and Iowa and Minnesota. But I, I never really jump the, the edge because I typically and we've got enough and you know, we we work at it enough on the sales side where we can stay. We can keep our book completely busy, staying uh, you know closer to home. So. It's just, you know, to help everybody likes to come home every night and that's kind of a, so we, we typically don't travel that far. I mean, we certainly could, but I just, uh, at this point in time, we, we, we don't. So we don't. Plus I can to. tell you, it's more of a pain from a tax standpoint when you start going into those states. <laughs> uh, being, being a CPA, I, I know, yep. uh, yeah, that could be painful. So, and, you know, and I'm sort of curious about tiling because I, I bought that ground down in Southwest Missouri about six months ago and, and there's probably... Oh, I'm going to say probably 20% of that ground that eventually uh, we'll need to probably put some tiling in. But uh, we're sort of seeing how the yield maps look. And there's some areas where you can tell right away, yeah, we need to do some tiling there. But there's others that, you know, we just need to see, does it really need it or not need it? So, yeah, and, and, typically you and, can go back. What we use probably is more, I use way more uh, aerial imageries. A lot of, I mean, the farmers, farmers that have yield maps i mean that that helps we can overlay those too but they always go lockstep with all the aerial photos that you can pull in the history over the past 15 years and they you know all those spots are it's pretty easy to tell which areas need it and which areas don't but it's you know it's, it's always way more acres than what people think because from the yeah. road you think oh it's oh it's just like four or five acres in that pocket out there what you don't realize that pocket is actually probably got to tile closer to 15 to 18 acres in that pocket. The reason being is, is that everybody looks at the blanks, but it's the outer edges that are yeah. only producing a hundred bushel that should be producing 200. Yeah. So it's, uh, but you know, those are when the, the photos from the sky, they was, it's easy to tell. Okay. Yeah. And, and of course, uh, after uh, buying two new pivots uh, for that ground down there and realizing that, uh, you know, if I'd waited four more months, the pivots would have been 35% higher. I'm glad I bought them when I did. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah, you talk yeah. about uh, sticker shock on those things right now. So, yeah, but, uh, I, I don't doubt it. It's, uh, I was, it's, my, it's always kind of the running joke for us, though, is the uh, 
There's nothing more expensive than a drowned out on a pivot, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and of course, it, it, in my little ranch that my wife and I have uh, where we live, you know, I have a pivot on about 20 acres. And I can tell you that's the most expensive pivot per acre uh, around. So, uh, but, uh, but that's okay. It, uh, it, you know, I, I'm a firm believer, happy wife, happy life. And since yeah. I'm on the road about 150 days a year, uh, uh, it's much easier for my wife to, although we still are having issues getting it to work right but uh i think that's true of anything that you that you deal with but uh, um, but I, I think right now bryce we're going to go ahead and take a quick break for a sponsor Great. message and then we'll come back and continue the conversation get timely updates about taxation accounting succession planning and other issues that are unique to farmers and agribusiness processors Find out about major agribusiness events and how to comply with new laws that affect your business. Subscribe to Farm CPA at blogs.claconnect.com forward slash agribusiness and experience the CLA promise. blogs.claconnect.com forward slash agribusiness. Welcome back, everyone, to the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer. This is Paul Niefer, your host, and we're going to rejoin our conversation with Bryce Gillen from South Dakota. Um, Bryce, you know, we sort of talked about the current farm and the tiling. I, I'd like to maybe just dump it, uh, jump into, you know, you have three kids, you have a son, you have two daughters, but they're too young to really know what they want to do. But looking back on the fact that you decided to, you know, really not come back to the farm right away. And, and the reason you came back a little bit was because of health issues with your dad. Um, where do you see, have you thought about the succession from you to your to your kids or have you really, or is it too soon? No, I've, I've definitely, I mean, I've thought about it a little bit. Uh, you know, it's, we got a, a little a little time on the clock, but at the same time, I mean, it's definitely, you know, I'm definitely thinking about it. I'm not going to wait till they're ready to you know, graduate high school to figure out, Hey, how should we do things? Um, I mean, obviously I'm going to, you know, I want to take them out have them try to take them with me every chance I get. And we try to, you know, do work together and, and if his interest is in it and yeah, we'll, we'll let him, we'll probably figure out a way to, you know, find a way to bring him into the business too. But I, no matter what, I would like to see him, I don't know that I need him to uh, go if he has to work for somebody for, you know, two to four years. I don't know. I've talked, I've talked to a lot of people that I guess I have some mentors of my own that I try to talk to from time to time and ask them on some advice. And I, you know, my, my, my thought is, is that I'm definitely going to you know, if he decides he wants to, you know, if he wants to be on the, you know, the, you know, the tile and excavating side, I'm probably gonna send him go make him work for a couple other of my uh, oh, some other contracting friends that I have that are four or five states away and go have him work for them for at least a season or two and go to jump to a couple different places and just to see the see how other people do things different and I I think the kind of the, was the how the saying goes is like you need to kids need to work for somebody other than dad for at least a little <laughs> while to realize that dad's not such a jerk to work for after all. <laughs> And, uh, exactly exactly you know, um so i guess i don't know if there's an exact time frame if it would be six months or a year that i would want him to be somewhere else or maybe it would be three months at a time for a here or there but i 
I'm not sure on that. I do know he's going to have to go other somewhere else. And then, you know, in the same time as, I mean, I got my college degree, my four-year degree, but I'm not, the college degrees are not, I don't know. They're not what they used to be. No. And I, uh, I, 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 I do know is I'm, I'm certainly not going to be shoving. He needs to go to college down his throat. I'll tell you that much. I don't think that, uh, I don't know. Some, I just have, uh, like I said, I spent the time and money and to get it, my four-year degree, and I knew I never was going to use it, but it's just things are, times are changing. And so I guess we'll, we'll see, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But um, yeah, I'm not sure how I'm going to kind of what direction I'm going to try to steer him in just yet, but I have a lot of uh, thoughts in the meantime, and to ponder anyway. Well, I can guarantee that within the next few years, you know, he's going to be operating that tiling machine and, uh, and and so on i mean uh farm boys love to uh operate machinery yeah yeah no we're uh i mean even like this spring here we'll be going out and we'll take the mini excavator and the skid steer and we get to go we'll go pick rock together so yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's it's time to time to i mean i let him push snow with the skid steer and you know if you're like the you got the thumb on that mini excavator you kind of get him used to operating those smaller excavators and it's uh yeah it's i think it's more than time so yeah i i remember um you know back i was probably i'm gonna guess i was probably six or seven years old and i'm riding on the caterpillar tractor because we had crawlers back then and we're on the back side of our home place which is you know just for the listeners out there uh, about a 40 acre field had about 300 feet of elevation change and of course bryce you've been out there to see some of those hills and uh <laughs> I remember my dad was plowing and we were doing the first, you know, the first pass around the field and we're coming up this hill and it's like, you're, you feel like you're going up to the sky, you know, you're just, it's about a 50% slope, something like that. And we're coming up to the top where it then breaks over. And I remember that the Caterpillar tractor kept going up, kept going up, kept going up because the plow was sort of, you know, putting a little friction on it. And then we went kaboom, you know, and, uh, you know, and as a farm boy, that was the, you know that's the best uh, roller coaster ride of all time is uh, is is getting on the getting on a tractor or getting on a combine. You know the tractor you never felt unsafe. The combine, yeah, there's a few times you know when the combine sliding down the hill you definitely feel a little unsafe. But uh, <laughs> uh, but you know with the caterpillar tractor you never worried about you know tipping over or anything like that. Yeah, those are some steep hills. That is uh, that was something when I was out there. That was I was very. That was something to see farming up and down those type of hills, and then also the the size, the the heads on those wheat plants. I I mean, boy, it extended through. You know, it was those are about double the length of what you'd yeah. see wheat heads around here, and it was really cool to see. Yeah, you know, we used to have uh, a, you know back in the late seventies, early eighties, uh, the Stevens was a very big variety that was being grown, and there's still some of it. It's had some disease issues, so that's why it's not grown as much anymore. Uh, but some of those heads, you could have a head that would be 12 to 14 inches long and it would curl over. And uh, it was pretty impressive looking at those heads. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say and, so. And, and then it's always fun to, you know, harvest 150 bushel wheat and you look down on the field and you can't see the ground. All, you know, all you see <laughs> is a sea of heads. And I've yep. harvested 40 bushel wheat and you, you, you see the ground more than you see the wheat. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Bryce, you know, we typically or I typically end with a couple questions and I'm going to ask you those questions. So uh, uh, the first question is, uh, what keeps you up at night? Is there something that you worry about or what what keeps you up um, at night? Oh, I mean, I say the things that 
keep me up at night right now. I think is just trying to trying to get a handle on this. Uh, oh, our monetary policies going forward. You know, as far as like how much money they printed this 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 type of inflation and you know trying to read between the lines because like you know trying to understand well if we're going to keep interest rates low, I'm gonna definitely gonna my business and my other uh, things I'm gonna shift in one direction. But if if interest rates are going to go to eight, nine percent, boy, we better be hanging on to as much cash as we can. But it's it's so frustrating, all the hard work that I've done where it's you just watch that cash just it's just worth so much less every day. And, you know, it's like hard. You, know, you talk to one group of folks that they say that, hey, the 80s are coming, which I don't really buy into. That. It's going to be quite that. But either way, I mean, seven to nine percent interest would drastically change things. And you talk to yep. other people that, hey, interest isn't going to go more than a point or two because it can't. And it's so those things keep me up more than anything, because it's if I if you knew which way that what kind of monetary policies they're going to direction they're going to go would make a lot of my decisions a lot easier um, going forward here. So it's just kind of some unprecedented times, you know, where there's yep. we've never we've never printed this much money at one crack. So there's no parallels to draw to saying, hey, well, this is, you know, it's, it's lining up like this. It's like, well, we've never really done this type of in, you know behavior before. And so therefore we don't really know what the outcome is going to be. So that's. Well, certainly we haven't done this type up. of behavior during your and my lifetime. I, I think we could go back maybe right after World War One or right after World War Two. There was similar type uh you know, the flu pandemic of, of 1918, 1919. I, I think if we go back and look at the, that behavior back then. It, it's it's similar to the behavior now with the, with the pandemic. But uh, uh, but again, none of us were around for that point in time. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, that is. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess that that pretty much sums up most. I that has kept me up a lot the past, you know, six, eight months or 12 months. But that's by far the thing that bothers me the most. So. Okay. Okay. And then my last question I always like to ask is, uh, what's your definition of success in farming or maybe success in business? Because you're both a farmer and, and an entrepreneur with your tiling business. Uh, you know, I guess success. I mean, it's, I mean, <laughs> it's a good question. I mean, it's, oh, I don't know. I mean, we've, uh, you know, it's just, <clears throat> You know, you get to you get to do what you what you want to do every day. But at, at the same token is, is I guess I my definition of sex is being success is being able to I want to be able to keep the businesses going, but yet be, not have to you know work. I don't I mean, I don't enjoy working, you know, 100, 110 hours a week. You know, that you know, it's I'd like to get back to that, you know, get down to a 40 or, or like a 50 hour week in my in the, but that's not going to happen anytime soon. So the idea is, is that if you can get a business up and going where you don't uh, you're not, you know, where you're running your business, the business isn't running you. Yeah, um, I think yeah. is where you know I'd like to get to, I guess. So it's yeah. we're, we're gaining and we, we're slowly but surely. But like every other business owner, there's a lot of growing pains along the way. And are the workforce today is changing and there's a lot of different things that um, I mean, there's probably no different than any other time in history. There's just obstacles that we have to face that people never did 10 years ago just like 10 years from now there'll be different obstacles that we'll have to you know have to jump over that we don't have today yep exactly exactly well again uh bryce thank you very much to, for taking time away from uh from your business to have this discussion and uh, and you know we'll probably do another follow-up in a year or two 
Yeah, well, it's good to hear from you, Paul. And then we'll, uh, yeah, we'll keep in touch. Okay, thanks, Bryce. Again, this is uh, Paul Niefer with uh, the Farm CPA Podcast presented by Top Producer, signing off. <laughs>